I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is an ABC podcast. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. It is a very special week, one where we have AFLW on a Monday and AFLM on a Thursday. It is an embarrassment of riches for folks who like to sniff their Sharon and get love drunk on the smell of deep heat. My name is Emma Race and today I'm bouncing off the walls with excitement. Can you feel me vibrating at a very high level? Because we have Lily Mithen from the D's joining us. We also have a giant story from Western Sydney and a chef's kiss of a thank you for being a friend with Ellie Blackburn and Emma Carney. It is an absolute treat to be here today. If I'm the hot pie, then these football-loving Sanctum sisters are the cold drinks. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. (laughs) Hello, hello. Nicole Hayes here. Hi, Julia Kiera. Hi, Lucy Race. Hello, ladies. (laughs) This fits with my food motif for the football, (laughs) that if the... Finals are super fun and, you know, they're the, like the entree to the grand final. I feel like these last rounds are the amuse-bouche. <laughs> I don't know amuse-bouche. Who does he play for? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that because round seven of the AFLW was the Sistine Chapel of footy. I'm hitting up my highlight first this week, ladies, which is how much I am loving the single ladder. We cannot predict anything about who's going to make the finals, who's going to be there in the last week where it's going to be. The only thing that we are sure of is that the games will be as spicy as a taco truck to continue (laughs) the food theme. And it's making me, it's giving me life. You know that moment when the prelim is so good, you think just call it the grand final and give them all a cup. That's what I feel like is inbound for us. And I'm thrilled with it. I think it's the, it's the finals we've deserved. It's the last two rounds that we have deserved. And it's been a long time coming because of COVID. So I am just thrilled and the AFLM can do its it and come back and with all its shiny glory and that's just going to be a little bit of icing on the cake but for me I've still got eyes only for the W for the next couple of weeks. Nicole what is your highlight? How hard is it to pick a highlight now because it's like 20 and you just got to you know so I'm going with the pineapple I did decide (laughs) (laughs) to go with my tacos. Um, Yeah, Look I'm just loving Brisbane's game at the moment it's really exciting I mean at first you know it it was a a contest for top or second spot as it turned out uh, against the pies so that already heightens things. Um, pies were on, were on a roll too, so it was a really it was a really tough one. And of course, last minute fixture change where it was meant to be a home game for Brisbane and technically.
technically still was, but managed to be at Witten Noble. So uh, which should have favoured the Pies and probably did. And it was contested right till the end. Um, just loving just. Can we just remember that Jess Wushner was struck oh. by lightning like a year ago? Like, is she extraordinary? Um, Ellie, Ellie Anderson uh, is on fire. And I just think that um, Catherine's fart goal, that boomer, that was a monster. So just so many highlights to come out of the game, but also just loving to see the flow of the play and just their constant. I mean, they've had everything thrown at them. They keep coming back and they're right up there. And, you know, they could be the final winners at the end. I think you're a girl in a lion suit. Look at you always have. You always always have have. love those Queenslanders. What about you, Julia? What was your highlight? Well, look, it's going to pay me to say this because people do know I'm a bit of a blue bagger. But in the spirit of go footy, my (laughs) highlight was Frio Carlton and not because Carlton lost, but because Frio won and the way that they actually won. I think it, it was the first time that I can recall that a team that was three goals down in the last quarter in AFLW actually came up to win. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of something that we haven't really seen in AFLW. We might have seen, you know, a, a team that was maybe a few points down win at the last minute, but we haven't seen that really big turnaround in the last quarter, which is what makes footy so dramatic and the roller coaster and keeps people watching. So I feel like Frio, I was a bit of a doubter after last year. I know that they were undefeated, but I felt like the um, the teams that were still in the comp, the other three finalists, they hadn't beaten yet. So there was still a question mark for me about where they were going to get to. But this year they've really brought it. They've, they're playing excellent football and that was an amazing game. It was. If you only watched the highlights, you would think Carlton won the game <laughs> and it was just the scoreboard at the end. It broke me into a thousand pieces, but that's what footy does. It mm. was footy being footy. Lucy, what was your highlight? I feel like it might come from a very, <laughs> very cold and rainy and stormy looking Casey Fields. Yeah. So against the spirit of go footy, can I be a D again? Can <laughs> yes. I just be this here as Lucy week, the D last supporter? Chance, last so it, for me, it was that game. It was Melbourne's win over Adelaide. And just the actual game. But what I loved about it was the pressure and the fact that Melbourne didn't let up on that pressure. So basically they became the hunters and didn't really allow the Crows to play the way that they like to play and the way that they usually do. I kept expecting the momentum to shift. And when it didn't, it just was really quite extraordinary. And Contrary to some of the other games that they've played earlier this year, they just kept the scoreboard ticking over as well. Mm. I loved watching the battle of the midfield and Tyler Hanks, Mm. um, give the girl a rising star, please. (laughs) Um, But not just Tyler, you know, watching Ebony Marinoff as well, who is always just a standout player. Lily Mithen, I don't know how she gets up from some of those tackles. They are bruising. And Eden Zanker was extraordinary as well. Absolutely. And another great mark by Lauren Pierce. Well, the rain did try to thwart the Saturday games, but the Ds were having absolutely none of it. I just felt like it didn't matter what time. We'll meet you. We'll meet you on the nature strip if we have to, Crows. That's what they were kind of saying. Not even a dubious goal review could snuff out the spark that the Ds were playing with. Melbourne's iconic, and I'm going to quote Hamilton the Musical here, young, scrappy and hungry. Lily Mithen joins us on the Outer Sanctum. How are you going, Lil? Good, thank you, Em. I like that little introduction. That's well, a good way to describe myself. I like it. 
And we <laughs> still love that about you. I've got to say, you're so dynamic to watch. And I feel like when you're playing, you're always trying to improve on everything you do. It's like you, I don't think that you come to the game and go, okay, I'm cooked and I'm ready. I feel like you come to the game and you go, okay, I'm going to take the temperature and I'm going to um, – I'm going to tweak my performance accordingly. Is that, am I close to the mark? Oh, I guess so. I guess in, especially in the game at the moment, it's evolving so fast and I guess you have to evolve with it. So I definitely don't have a complete game and always trying to build on it, whether it's adjusting to the conditions and playing a bit more physical like I probably did on the weekend or um, dry conditions and sharpening up your skills. It's something you always need to be mindful of to make sure that you're uh, maximising your input on game day. Hey, Lily, it's Lucy here. Hello, Luz. Um, go D's. Go D's. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> We're that. not meant to say that. Hey, when you guys have a game like the one you did against Adelaide, does it kind of feel like lightning in a bottle or do you expect it and then do you know how to replicate it? The weekend's game probably cemented everyone's thoughts and ideas as to how we want to play. That's exactly how we want to play and when we put that on display, I think we just got complete buy-in from the whole group. Yeah, now it's we've got a blueprint as to how we win games and I think um, everyone's a lot more confident in what we're doing and what we're capable of. Not saying that we probably expected to win. We go into games confident with knowing that if we play the way we want to play, we can win any game that we play in. But, um, yeah, I think to win probably by that margin and have almost complete control over that game didn't surprise us, but um, it was a nice sort of – it was a nice outcome. And I think um, post-game there was lots of energy and excitement and that sort of fed into this week at training. And, yeah, we'll definitely be keen to replicate that against a very strong side in Frio. Hi, Lily. It's Julia. Hello, JC. Hello. Um, look, the Ds are playing pretty fantastic football, and we've seen some players in different spots than we're used to seeing them. Eden Zanker's having a go in the midfield, and she's doing a great job in there. We saw Daisy at full forward. Are we going to see Lily Mithen at fullback? <laughs> or in the ruck? Look, I've, you know what? I've been knocking on the door. I've said, Mick, come on. <laughs> this is this is where I should be playing. I am built for key position roles, especially key defending. And I just need to – I don't know how I get the message to, through to him because, like, as you could see, like, it just makes sense that that's the position I play. So maybe after another 16 pre-seasons of just bulking <laughs> and maybe somehow stretching out another foot, um, we could see that. But, no, I don't think that's I really either. wanted you to say, I said Mick, I said pet, I said love. <laughs> <laughs> If only I was that witty. <laughs> uh, Lily, it's Nicole here. Hello, uh, Nicole. Hey. Week after week, you know, you be, even when you haven't come up with the goods, like with the win in the end, you've been really in, um, really close. And one of the things that has been the difference sometimes has been the accuracy in front of goal. We've really seen that turn around um, as the season progressed. How much is that? Is there a change in your play that changes, you know, that affects that? Is it by design or is it some of that just luck or confidence? What's going on there? We started the season super accurate, I thought, and then we had a slump and the slump sort of meant losses, which um, makes sense because I think we'd kicked like three goals, 18 or something across three rounds, which obviously isn't going to win you games. So slight change of personnel. You just mentioned Daisy going up forward. She's had a massive impact just in terms of our structure down there. 
because ultimately Daisy's like another coach. Like the way she sees the game, the way she instructs players on the ground and just leads from the front, she's sort of kept our forward structure well in line and that's probably meant we've been more accurate just given we've had more forwards in play, our ball movement's been better because of it and we've been able to translate that in the scoreboard. But it's never really a massive in like. We don't talk about it during the week that we're inaccurate. It's probably more so the ball movement coming inside 50, which we were super inaccurate against the dogs, but that was just because of their pressure and they forced us to go wide when you have shots from further out and wider. It's harder to score over see. So one, probably we weren't functioning great as a forward line, and then two, we were playing against um, opposition that were forcing us um, to not have great inside 50. So, yeah, a bit of a combination, but... As you've seen, we've sort of turned that around a little bit and we'll continue to do so because, yeah, points don't win you games and goals definitely do. Every time Daisy gets a goal this season, do you know, this is a champion data stat, uh, another fairy gets their wings. (laughs) (laughs) It's just good for the competition. Hey, when I watch you play, I I am acutely aware of how close you are with Kate Hoare and how she is your best friend, your total bae before all others, um, like your homegirl, she's your sister, she's everything. She's the most, she she has these moments that are so spectacular and, and watching from the outer or from the couch, it is fun for us. But how do you celebrate and how does that moment resonate with you as a bestie on the field? Yeah, I love it. I think you've summed it up pretty well. Kate and I don't do much apart, so playing footy apart would just probably never happen. We're a package deal (laughs) and we will continue to be for a long time. So, yeah, playing with her is super fun and it's awesome to play with someone who is just so classy. She just pulls things out of nowhere and she's been able to finish her work um, super consistently throughout the year, which is great, and then... Her aerial stuff, she's super competitive when the ball hits the ground and applies that excellent, like, forward 50 pressure. So I love watching it. I think she's an absolute superstar on the field as much as she is off it. But, um, yeah, it's it's fun when you get to play with your best friend and you'd probably notice that there's probably an extra centimetre on my smile and um, <laughs> force on my high five when she kicks a snag compared to anyone else. That's pretty special, Lily. Hey, Lily, the D's are no stranger to heartbreak and especially heartbreak around finals. So you kicked a goal at in the last kind of dying seconds of the season last year where you thought that would put the demons into a finals, but then it wasn't to be. And then, bam, bam, bam. then <laughs> yes, the COVID curtain came down. So you guys now have your work cut out, two really tough games. What's the mindset? Are you talking about finals? Do you talk about the past or are you just keeping it one week at a time? Don't say one week at a time. <laughs> Asterix, don't say you know, one week at a time. Uh, uh, footy, it's a long week, one week in footy. Um, <laughs> Shawshank um, Redemption's my favourite movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think we obviously know that um, the last few years, a couple of years haven't gone in our favour last year. Um, let's not even talk about it because what even happened, no one knows. Um, but, yeah, I think the fixture that we've been given is a excellent opportunity to play really good sides and prepare us for hopefully finals footy. Um, that's definitely the mindset we're taking into it because to play finals you've got to beat good teams and we'll definitely know if we are good enough 
will be there uh, come finals time. I think we often rise to the challenge more so than not as a group. Like we often play better against um, challenging opposition. So it's a really exciting couple of weeks building and um, we're not necessarily talking about what's happened in previous years, but at the same time, there's lots of us girls that have played in um, games that have meant that we haven't been able to play finals. So we're hungry and we think we've got a really good group to um, to go deep this year. You don't know this, Lily, but Lucy has a back tat of that clutch goal, <laughs> of the moment you kicked that clutch goal, and she's not shared it yet, but we're launching it here today. Oh, great. Nicole. I can't wait to see it. <laughs> a little off footy for the minute. Um, I heard a rumour that you're a bit of a fan of the real estate uh, and it kept you busy in COVID. Am I right about that? Yeah, correct. Yep, I work at... Um, in Folio Property Advisors. I'm currently sitting at work at the moment, just downstairs. So, uh, um, well, it's a pretty hot market at the moment. Any tips for us? <laughs> it is very hot market at the moment. It is um, through the roof. The hot tip is the D's. Lily Mithen, we love talking to you, but we really love watching you play. Pull those red socks up high and go your hardest for the last two rounds. We love you very much. Thanks for joining us on the Outer Sanctum. Thanks, Em. Thanks, girls. It's been fun. I'm Lauren Rosali, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. All right, are you ready to roll up your sleeves and melee ladies? That's interesting that I called you ladies. Mm. Should I be calling you women, compadres, equals? Lucy, what have you got there? You've got an email. Well, it's a very good question, Emma, because we did. We received an email from a listener recently and it was off the back of a discussion that we'd had about the power of language to influence culture and she asked us a question about using the word girls to describe women playing sport. I'll read you a little bit of what Kate wrote. She said, In my mind, it trivialises and infantilises female and female-identified athletes, but so many female athletes use it, especially in AFLW. The smart and eloquent Lauren Arnell called her fellow players girls about five times during her great interview on the weekend. Maybe I'm getting normalised to it, but I still think it doesn't help the cultural acceptance of women's footy or women's sport at large. And she asks us, is it a good thing? Thank you so much for asking us this question, Kate, because it's a really good one. And in thinking about it, for me, it comes down to intention and the context and who's using it. So I don't think that you can ignore the history that's attached to the word girls, the use of it as a put down, um, the way that it's used to demean or to belittle or to trivialise, as you say. But what I'm wondering is, can it be reclaimed? And I think that it has been or it's in the process of being reclaimed and maybe that's why we feel this tension at the moment. Um, But again, I do think, I do love it when the team uses, yeah, the girls. What do you guys think? Well, yeah, I agree. It's something that I do use. I use it at football training. I tested it out really consciously on Monday night when I was, you know, doing drills and using the word term, using the term girls. And that's what is used. Um, And I've never felt it jar or felt it to be belittling. And you're right, it's because it has been reclaimed. And I can think of a million times that AFLW players lovingly say, yeah, the girls about themselves. So I appreciate that there is that um, history of kick like a girl as an insult. But I, I think that in AFLW, it has been reclaimed. I think, so for me, um, I actually used to balk at it. I, I, was, I think we had the conversation before off air years ago and when we first sort of started hearing it so much. 
So I've always sort of balked at it, but I, I think, again, it, it does come down to who's saying it. And when there's a power discrepancy, so I'm uncomfortable with a male coach saying it, I'm uncomfortable with broadcasters, male broadcasters in particular, and given the reality is they do dominate our airwaves anyway. Um, I struggle with that because I don't think it is done with the intention that it's used when equals and women are talking about themselves. It's a, it's a term of endearment, but it is not meant to demean or diminish. There was also an element of, of girls being sexualized. Um, and so again, in the mouths of a male, it has a different connotation for me. But then I keep coming back to the fact that girls was used as an insult. Why would that be? Like girls, you know, I, I want to reject the notion that it's somehow a slur. I want to reject the notion that it is somehow a diminished, a diminishing of anything. Um, and yeah, that notion of kicking like a girl, fighting like a girl, reclaiming that as a as, as a notion of empowerment. So, you know, I think it's who, coming back to what you said, Lucy, um, but when it's women talking about women, I have no issue with it anymore. I love that you've said that, Nicole. What I, I believe is that previously we had, we were balking at it. And when I say previously, I mean when the AFLW started because so many men were holding the microphone or the voice amplification machines and they were the ones using it. But now as the, as our, gorgeous listener and emailer Kate says it was Lauren Arnell using it and Lauren Arnell now has a platform and she now has a microphone so in this instance she's actually kind of representing what has been the change so it's very different when someone who is embedded in football culture has been handed a microphone and gets to use that word so the the reclaiming of it I think is active it's happening right now and where I wasn't previously okay with using it I have changed my stance on that because I feel like I could say, yeah, the girls to you, to you all in the studio. Um, but it is a foot, it's a footy parlance. And I think that what we're seeing is that we hear it in the men's game. They talk about the men as boys. And so it is, it's kind of an equal of that. It's saying we've got that moment to be able to use that now. So I feel like it's a really important conversation. And I think it's something where we've seen the needle shift on it, Nicole. Yeah, I just think you don't hear the coaches talk about their players as boys. They talk about them as young men. I, I, you don't hear them say that as much, and I think that's a, a, I a reference. I feel like it's noted, and the commentators, they'll talk about it like it's, you know, if they're having a jokey thing, it sort of references a, a masculine kind of behaviour. But when they're taking them seriously, they use a different language. In my, you know, in my I'm very anecdotal I, th- I disagree with that. I feel like they infantilise um, male players so much and they called them boys all the time. Mm. I feel like the coach is like, the boys did okay, the boys need to lift, the boys need to, and I'm like, they're not boys, they're men. And especially when when it's boys will be boys, that kind of behavioural stuff, I think that boys is lent on heaps and mm. I, I don't necessarily like the connotations of it, but because I disagree with you, I will study <laughs> it when the, when the round kicks off on Thursday night, Lucy. I think this is where it comes back to context mm. because there is also a racialised context with boys and so so it you can't just look at a word without looking at the way that it's being used and what meaning is being attached to it. This is something that might blow your mind, but the etymology of the word girls, it actually was first noticed in the 13th century texts. That's where it came out. And it was a genderless word. It was actually a word used to describe young people. And My so exactly. So it is a word that is actually meant to kind of embody in its past small, diminutive, childlike, childish. So all of that weight sits behind the word. And I think what is really interesting is the process of reclaiming it. Now I hate the word. <laughs> 
one thing that girls has been attached to girls for a very long time is body shaming. And I think when women are putting on sporting attire and taking the field, they get talked about in a way that maybe male counterparts do too. But again, it's weighted. The conversation is weighted in a way because of the history of what's gone before. There was an interesting article on part-timers this week written by Georgia G, who plays for Carlton, and she was talking about body shaming that she has had to face because people always talk about her size, Nicole. Yes, as someone who is also often commented about based on my size, uh, it was really interesting. Um, she kind of acknowledged that height is probably one thing that um, does sort of slide under the radar and people don't question because it isn't necessarily a pejorative to be short or to be tall. Um, but she's really uncomfortable and really re- resents the fact that there were often jokes being made about her not being, you know, being of such a slight build, needing another hamburger, you know, not working out at the gym, that it that the size of her was somehow a question about her commitment too. That that you know she wasn't doing the hard work, um, and she acknowledged she says that she's considered one of the strongest players you know at the at the club. And you know you just have to watch her play to see that bears out. But um, I think you know what she really rightly points to is the idea that weight, um, especially for women, which has always been a fraught space and and um, and used as a, a way to demean or to um, undermine women. It's a private topic and it's absolutely out of bounds, And um, but it's that double standard that I think we've accepted that for people who lean towards overweight, but we have not when it comes to women who are underweight she points in the smaller. Ad- she points in the article to the AFLW Instagram page, which chose a fan question to be mm. answered by some of her teammates, which the question was, has Georgia G found the gym yet? Mm. That feels completely out of line to me. Yeah. And I bet they'll never do that again. And what that smacks of is just not having the right people asking the questions. Yeah. And, that and moderating yeah. from a, from an outbound perspective of your social media. We've said it before, we'll say it again. It mm. is your shop front to the world and it's telling people who you are. Julia. Yeah, and I think that it speaks to that sometimes people are just lazy in what they say. You know, someone's appearance is what uh, you see and you comment on it without thinking. And, and I think there's a part of that too. But what I actually love about women's football is that it can cater to all different body shapes and sizes. And that's what we've seen over the years. And that actually Georgia G's uh, frame is actually really beneficial to the way that she plays football and how it works in a team. You know, I know we know that in AFLW the ball is actually on the ground a lot and being closer to the ground means that you get it more and you watch the way that she picks up the ball. Her ground balls are amazing because she just leans over a little bit, scoops them up, she barely slows down to do so and the speed in which she gets ball from hand to foot is incredible and that's because She's lived in that body her whole life. She's crafted those skills and her capacity to impact a game because of that is really important. I would hazard to also say that the game of Australian rules football actually welcomes all shapes and sizes mm. because, Caleb Daniel, have you met Aaron Sanderlands? Mm. So mm. It's, it's across both competitions mm. and that is, I think, the strength of, of, the, of the game. I wonder if we even need to continue with the height, the stats that we see about players. Like, I, I think that's just feeding into it. The, a lot of that is, you know, just on a, a basic, you know, profile of any player. It includes all of those stats. Do we need Need to know those things? Does it matter? We can see they're tall. Are they tall enough to ride this? Uh, yeah. to get on this ride. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes, I mean, you that's, can play. That's a fair question at that moment, but the rest of the time, I don't think it's necessary. <laughs> 
Julia, the game gave us lots of things this week. One thing that was evident that was missing was goal review. Should there be goal review in the AFLW? Yes, there should. We saw a very controversial decision at the weekend where Melbourne were playing Adelaide. Uh, Tyler Hanks had a shot on goal, which everyone on the ground and watching from home thought was a goal, but uh, the officiating goal umpire uh, deemed it to be a behind. Now, if this was men's football, there would be a score review. There would be cameras set up uh, on the goalposts and around the grounds. There would be the for lack of a better term, the third umpire analysing all that and we would have a decision. Now, in AFRW, that doesn't happen. Now, in that game, the Ds won convincingly, so it probably didn't decide it, but we are heading into finals and and a decision like that has definitely got the capacity to to decide who gets into the final, uh, who wins one. So it, it needs to happen at some point and if we are going to persist with grounds like Casey or with Norwood, We need to actually put this infrastructure into place. It is five years in and I refuse to believe that this is an insurmountable problem with enough will and enough investment. Should the grand final be played at Docklands for goal review technology to be available for that grand final or do you not bring it in for one game of a season? I think that we need to do everything we can to make sure that the the team that wins actually won the game. Mm. So if that's what it takes, then that's it. Around the country this week, there was the March for Justice, which was a conversation about equity and equality in this country. And, um, you know, we look at those conversations through the prism of sport. And I was hopeful, I feel like we've been at those moments before in time, but I was hopeful this week when I heard a caller ring into Jacinta Parsons' program on ABC Melbourne 774. And He was a voice that I haven't heard before in this conversation about equity for women and girls in this country, and he looked at it through the prism of sport too, and I want to play that for you now. I started looking in the paper and counting the number of photographs in in the sporting pages last Saturday. There was, I think, three little girls, and they'd been fishing, and they'd caught a fish. Then there was um, a woman who was, I think, a coach. She wasn't even a player. So that was four. And then there were 33 photographs of male sporting identities right. showing their aggression, their egos, their masculinity, their nastiness, all of those things. And that was the story. That was John from Wangaratta, and I say welcome to the fight, John, and thank you for your voice. This wasn't rare. You you were at the march, Nicole. You saw people who looked like what John sounded like. There were a lot of different people who I think maybe haven't been at marches before. It was great to see, you know, men, um, young boys as well, and and women of all ages, um, lots of intersectionality too. There were people of different cultures. It was just an extraordinary and quite overwhelming moment, and I spent most of the morning in tears. Oh, Nicole, I feel like there was tears and goosebumps everywhere and um, watching people really open their hearts and talk about some really vulnerable things in such a massive public setting. I really hope that those tears turn into powering some action for people who feel like justice hasn't been enacted for them. There is a big, big sound coming from the west of the town and it's the sound of one of our own Outer Sanctum supporters who has written a big giant orange book. Lucy and Julia caught up with her. I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to the Yadda Sanctum. 
Georgina Hibbert is a Foundation AFLW member of the GWS Giants. In 2020, she was given full access with the team to document their year and what a year it was. The result is her brilliant book, Never Surrender. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum, Georgina. Now, lots of people love sport and love a team, but not many dedicate a year to writing a book about them. Why did you decide to write Never Surrender? I guess the main reason was I thought we needed a story about women's footy and that a woman should write it um, because we've got lots of stories about men's footy. Um, And I guess I was kind of vain enough to think, well, maybe I should be the one to write it. So, um, yeah, I spent some time trying to write about them from the outside, but then I realised I needed to get on the inside um, and tell the story and thankfully they allowed me to do that. Uh, Hi, George. Julia here. I absolutely loved the book. I couldn't gobble it up fast enough. So thank you from me for writing it. But one thing that really struck me is uh, how you were really aware of your role as both a a fan and a viewer and how you were writing all this down. Um, So how has the experience of being embedded with a team changed the way you think about that team and about the competition? I was always aware that, um, you know, I was a fan first and foremost, but I didn't want to write it as, um, as a fan. I wanted to write it and to be honest to the women and honest to their story, but also, you know, tell some truths, I guess. And it was an ongoing kind of balance or attention that I was sort of dealing with because I'd get quite emotional, to be honest, when I was watching some things and, and in some meetings, um, and I had to sort of try and distance myself a bit and say, no, this is not about you, this is about the team. Talking about that tension, the thing that comes across really strongly in the book is the tensions that all of the people within the club are feeling in terms of not just wanting to play a game, but also being aware of a, a bigger role, I guess, in the competition and in the way that the game is played in New South Wales. Can you talk a little bit about those, I guess, the weight that is on the shoulders of those players and those officials. Yeah, that's something that became very clear early on that these women and Alan uh, and people like Bree, Bree Harvey took their responsibility to grow the game very seriously. And that's, that's wonderful, but it's also, yeah, a large weight on their shoulders. So when they play a game like they did against the Gold Coast and the score was 9-8, they they felt like they'd let they'd won, um, but they felt like they'd let people down, and that their job. And I think um, Jess Dalpos even spells it out that she feels that her job is to grow the game, and to do that is to play entertaining football. And they just didn't feel that they delivered. And I thought it's a lot to ask these women to grow the game um, in an entire state when they're being paid to only play part time. Um, and they're under incredible pressure, you know, to, to maintain jobs and relationships and all sorts of things. But then to, to turn up to play, maybe only get two or 3,000 people there and to feel like you're carrying the game, it's, it's an incredible burden. It is, and, it, and you write about it so beautifully in the book. I wanted to ask you about you have many conversations with Alan McConnell and he's very reflective about what he's noticing in his team and how they really need to change so much about their personal relationship with football, about their competitiveness, not only with each other, but with themselves. And it was really eye-opening to me to to hear a male coach really 
talk about that because that's something that I as a coach experience all the time with female players. Can you talk a bit about that and what you learnt from Alan? He he takes his role very seriously in that he understands he has a lot to learn. He understands that he has never coached, had never coached women before this. Um, and so his, I, get, I guess his humility um, and the way he approaches his role was a surprise to me. You know, he'll read or he'll get his partner to read for him and about other coaches who coach women and what he can learn. He's trying to understand, you know, what it takes to create a team of women and to develop that competitiveness. And I think he he definitely gets frustrated at times because he can't understand why women, we have that tendency to apologise for things or we have that tendency to think we're not good enough when we are actually good enough. It's that sort of talking yourself down the whole time. And to him, that's anathema to playing football. And so it was really interesting to watch him wrestle with that, um, but also watch the women wrestle with it as well. Yeah, and he speaks to this idea that I guess women haven't had the opportunity to just play around, um, that with football and with so many other pursuits, women are kind of expected to nail it on the first go and that this kind of actually works against them in a football space. You know, they don't have the ball under their arm as a, as a child or as a teenager where they can just play around and experiment. Instead, any time that they get the ball in hand, um, someone is telling them exactly how to kick it and they don't get to explore it on their own. And I thought that that was incredibly fascinating. And I guess it speaks to women, you know, in in society generally. Yeah, this is something for me which um, is really important. I guess I grew up playing with my brothers and we used to just go out in the park next door and play. Uh, You know, we'd try different things and we'd play with all sorts of balls. But once I hit high school, that wasn't something which was okay for me to do anymore. I was really interested to see when I went to the club that that was something that the women had not benefited from over their lifetime. I mean, some have, and you're right. When girls or women take up the game, it's always about instruction and getting things right, and and we don't like to get things wrong. And you can see the benefit. I'm hoping you'll see the benefits of the younger girls coming through and that they have been given that permission to play. But you still, you know, you drive past parks on a weekend and there's groups of men playing, you know, games of cricket or or touch footy or whatever, and you never see groups of women doing it. Why don't we have that permission? And um, it'd be really nice to see younger girls grow up and and just have that permission or just take it, I guess. Georgina, like Julia, I devoured this book and I'm so grateful to you for writing it because I really do think we need to hear these stories and we need to hear them told by women. You have spent this time, which is so precious and so rare, really. If there was, you know, one or two things you could do to really help the competition and to help the women that are playing at the highest level, what would those changes be? I would allow them to be at the club more, (laughs) to just have that more time, which of course would mean more pay. Because that time makes such a difference. There's things like extra goal kicking, for instance, which is just you've got to fit that in, but you've also got to do it with the permission of the trainers because you don't want to overwork your body. And um, I think being able to balance that a bit more and not have the pressure of, you know, how am I going to afford to eat this week would be wonderful. And I guess too, the other thing I do is put more money around them in the clubs. So, you know, have physios and, and they've got physios, but have it 
so they've got more access to things. It's not nice when you hear discussions of about where they can go for a massage and how they can claim it on, on their healthcare and things when you know that if they were paid more or given more access that that stuff would just happen. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, things like when they were having a break for Christmas and this wasn't in the book, but they were all asked, did everyone have access to a ball and over the break when they were away? And some of them said no. And I thought, that's ridiculous. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, you should have a ball. Yes. Everyone should have a ball. I mean, the Giants are pretty good, to be honest. They, they, they give them wonderful support and the, the staff work their backsides off because they have to. Um, but if they didn't have to work on such a lean budget, that would be wonderful. Well, thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you've been a friend of the pod for a really long time and we're just so impressed with this book. So thanks, Georgina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Melissa Hickey and you're listening to The Outer Sanctum. Ali Blackburn and Emma Carney have played in so many teams together. They are now the captains of the Western Bulldogs and the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. So now they go head to head and it's something that the competition absolutely loves. To quote Bruce, it's delicious. For us this week, they go head to head in Thank You For Being A Friend. I'm Ellie Blackburn, I'm from the Western Bulldogs and occasionally run through the midfield. And I'm Emma Carney from the North Melbourne Footy Club and I play in the midfield too. Once upon a time was a Bulldog. Once upon a time we um, played a lot of footy together, Ellie. We have. I've, I've, got, I've got a few questions for you though. What was your first impression of me? Oh, that is a good question. I actually, when I was first playing at um, Berwick, I wasn't actually playing in this specific game, but I came across and you we were playing Melbourne Uni and I'd never heard of you ever before. You absolutely dominated. And I was like, who is this person? And then, like, a few comments came back that, like, you were real chirpy on the field. <laughs> Not sure about and that. And all I saw was a really good player, so I didn't hear the chirpy side of it, so I thought you were just a good footballer. It wasn't until you... um you started playing with me, don't you? But you realise that those people were telling the truth. Yes. <laughs> I've been on the receiving end of it as a um, opposition player and a teammate, and too, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt you have. <laughs> yeah. oh, very good, very good. So I've got some questions as well. The first question I have for you, describe what you like about me. Oh, I reckon you're a pretty chilled sort of character, actually. Um, people have this persona of what you like as a player on the field, but um, off-field you're pretty, pretty easygoing, pretty relaxed, um, happy to spend time with your, your family and your close friends. You don't, you don't like things to be about you, oh, maybe occasionally, actually, Ellie, but <laughs> that's about the team and um, I reckon you're just a good good character, good person to to play with. So if you want to wear the stripes at any stage, the vertical stripes, feel free to come across. Oh, good plug. Very good plug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm doing some recruiting as well while I'm at it. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Thank you for that. I appreciate the words. Uh, if, I've got, if I've ever had a, um, if I've got a shocking haircut, would you tell me that, like, how bad it is? Oh, yeah. 
Remember that game you played and the back of your hair came out and you were rolling around with a mullet? Oh, mate, I had the worst haircut then. <laughs> <laughs> that whole year I was rolling around with the mullet. That was so funny. It just com kept coming out. And then the addition with the scrunchie and all that, I think it's held it together. What's been the update? Has it been hairspray or just a better haircut? Yeah, better haircut, bit of hairspray. Obviously can't yeah. wear the bobby pins, so no, you're rocking it too. Oh, thanks, mate. In your opinion, which one of us is the best dresser? I don't know, mate. We'll go with we'll go with you. Neither one of us are fashionistas, let's be honest. <laughs> no, we're pretty plain Janes, aren't we? <laughs> we, we, go with the we go with the basics. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. No, when you doll yourself up, mate. You scrub up all right? Oh, yeah. Likewise. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. We're probably not... We'll call it even. Yeah. We're probably not people that put in a lot of effort, though. At no, times. that's a fair point. <laughs> all right. Don't. I'm really intrigued about this one, considering we just played each other. Yeah. But um, if you were coaching me on the field, what would your advice be? Just keep doing what you're doing, I think. Just keep... keep Ducking the head a little bit and shrugging the shoulders up. The free kicks will keep coming. <laughs> yeah, oh, I will. See how many I can put on the weekend. <laughs> I didn't get one high free kick. I might have got a push in the back. Yeah, Don't the push in the one. back one, the dive. A couple of them. <laughs> I was gamble. At least gamble. You had already dived on the ground before she was there. She should know me better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Ran past the umpire, it was just like, mate, she dives every time. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't give it to me on the field, slackers. No, nah, there was no point in giving it to you. I didn't want to give away a 50 metre or something like you that. Were, you were very, very quiet on the field, I must admit, on Saturday. Yeah, I just, I feel like you've got to know your time and place to say something, and I probably wasn't a... Uh, as on the mark on the weekend for me personally and obviously when your team's not winning I find it a bit harder to chirp up and say much because oh, then like the old have a look at the scoreboard comes back at you. Yeah give us your time and place then like when's when do you chirp and the most oh, yeah, you that's reckon? a good question. Um, I probably get a bit more chirpy when like you're feeling good out there and like you're rolling around and um, your team's up and about and you can feel momentum's all on your side. Yeah. So I definitely have had some moments like that. I've quietened down a little bit in the last couple of years. I was probably a bit more chirpier early on. To be honest, I've been a bit quieter too, if you if you can believe me or not. But I do actually, yeah. Perhaps perhaps we were perhaps we were feeding off each other a little bit too much. Maybe. <laughs> I I think that's a fair call to be honest. Yeah. Trying to get Lammy to chirp up a little bit, but she just chirps off at me. Yeah, I did notice that, actually. She gave me a couple of sprays on the weekend, which is fair. It was fair. I deserved it. Oh, now I've got, got one me? more question for you. On the foot, footy field, what's the best part of my game? When you are inside 50, you can kick a goal from just about anywhere. So damaging. Especially when you're playing at Witten Oval in front of your fans, mate. Oh, nothing better. Nothing us, better than that. Can you, can you talk through the goal against um, Melbourne, the, against your ex-teammate, Louis uh, Birch? More than happy to uh, chat through. <laughs> I think that was one of my most favourite goals I've ever kicked. 
playing just because of the aftermath of it. Like, one-on-one with Lib and then to go on and kick the goal from, like, 50 out or thereabouts. And then just yeah. turn to the Witten stand and just went absolutely nuts. Pretty incredible, like, to have that kind of feeling and impact with the crowd. Like, geez, that stuff's pretty cool, isn't it, when you do that? Oh, it's great. Well, Ellie, it's been an absolute pleasure. What a great way to start my Wednesday morning, actually. Oh, likewise. I'm ready to get kick-started and enjoy my day. Okay, ladies, it's almost time to get out of here. Uh, but a bit of final business. I just want to do, do a shout out to Vilification Rule 35 has had some updates. It's now going to be called the Peak Rule. This is a vilification rule that was amended a couple of years ago. There's been a new amendment, which means that anyone who is racially vilified has two weeks to report it now. I love that this is constantly um, being changed and tweaked. Big salute to the AFL for that. It's going to be called the Peak Rule after Tony. Peak, who was an administrator at the AFL, who um, it's been advised by a lot of people who who feel that that's an appropriate um, marking of his of his commitment and what he's been able to give the game along the journey, and I and I respect it very much. Lucy, have you got any news? Yes. There will be some changes that we'll see in the men's competition to a concussion or an injury sub. Details are being worked out as we speak. So by the time the men's season starts on Thursday night, expect to see a 23rd man sitting on the bench. There'll be some more news coming your way. (laughs) We'll wait. We'll stand by for that news, Lucy Race. And over to Nicole Hayes with some more news. So the, this week the AFL Movers and Shapers Top 50 was released and I saw a familiar name in there at uh, number 47. Uh, our Emma Race was in there, unlucky to be pipped by little-known football newcomer Nathan Buckley at 46. <laughs> I'm coming um, for you, Bucks. <laughs> recognised, obviously, for her work for some random podcast called The Outer Sanctum, but also, more importantly, for the incredible work she's doing with Fellow Sanctum Lucy Race in their amazing program, Making the Call, um, a talent pathway for women in football, media broadcasting that's just literally changing the game making waves and just making the world better. I'm so num- congrats, Thank number you. 47. Just call me 40. I'm number 47. Why try harder? That's my <laughs> new <laughs> That's my new tat. Hey, I just also want to say the world is changing. Eddie Betts has joined the commentary team um, in one of the commercial channels. And I just think we've asked for it and the change is afoot. And that's great. AFLM is back on Thursday night. So you can enjoy the spoils of that while keeping an eye on the W. There's only one thing left to say, my friends, and that is... Go Go footy! footy!